Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Again, that's Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Suzanne, for doing our reading. We had some fun words in there that we don't normally say, so good job with that. Um, I'm excited. We're starting a brand new series in the book of Jonah. I was able to talk Pastor Pete into doing that adventure with me, and uh, we're both excited about it. I'm also excited about our new artwork. If you follow us online, you might have saw that we posted the artwork, and um, that artwork is original. It's been done by uh, Reagan Weiss, so thank you, Reagan, for doing that. Um, looks really cool. I wish we had it up right now, but hey, our computer is sad and tired. Needs a break. Before we begin this morning, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Creator and sustainer of life, we thank you for the breath that's in our lungs today. Thank you for life. Thank you for allowing us to be here together, whether in the room, on the patio, or online. And thank you for this opportunity to take a look at this minor prophet in your word. And I pray that you would speak through me. May my words be honoring to you. And may you lead us and guide us, Lord, in our adventure through the book of Jonah, that it would minister to us, encourage us, and inspire us. It's in Jesus' name I I pray. Amen. I did grow up on this island, and um, I love the ocean. Like, I love water sports and just love being in the ocean. Um, So much so that when it was I was interested in trying out for soccer, and when I went to go try out for soccer, there happened to be a swell, so I ended up going to the beach. And I grew up going to Makapu, which is, you know, if you go past Waimanalo and you head towards, um, head towards Hawaii Kai, you'll see the lighthouse there, and there's a break called Makapu. And so as soon as my friend got a license after school, every day we'd go to Makapu. That was our jam. There are no fins allowed there, and I'm not talking about these types of fins. These fins are okay. You can have these fins on your feet. But during lifeguard hours, there's no fins or skegs allowed on your boards. Even if you have a soft top board, no fins are allowed. So it's for body surfing and for bodyboarding or boogie boarding. And so me and my friends grew up boogie boarding there, having a really good time. One day, in particular, it was super fun. There was a sandbar, and so when there's a sandbar, when the waves come in, they they jack up pretty quick, and they can pitch. And so when you get a little bit more experienced with uh, body surfing or body boarding or even surfing, rather than just going straight on the wave, you can actually 
cut to the side, either right or left, depending which way the wave is breaking, and then you can get in what's called the curl. If it's a little more hollow that day, it'll jack up and it'll actually barrel, and that's what you want to do. You want the barrel. The barrel is good. So I'm catching a wave. My friends are kind of paddling back out. I catch a good wave, and it's pitching, and here comes the barrel, and all my high school friends are watching. So this is a, this is a good moment for Pastor Josh. I was not a pastor at the time. I was a teenager. Nonetheless, boogie boarding. Here we go. There's also a thing called backwash. Backwash is a wave that goes the opposite way of all the other waves. So what happens is if the wave is going this way and you're riding the wave, the backwash goes this way. And when the backwash hits the wave, they go like that. And it can be really fun if it's in shallow water right here at Kailua Beach. My kids actually love to just play in that moment where the backwash hits the wave, which is really fun. But when you're on a wave and you're riding and you're not expecting it, it really gets your attention, like a lot. So here I am on this wave, barrel coming over, friends watching, cheering my name. I, I, I might have made that part up. Backwash comes, hits the bottom of my board, hits me up into the roof of the wave. I go up into the roof of the wave. The wave takes me down. I land on my knees, and the board hits me on the head and bends me over backwards, and I hear a pop in my back. Kind of a scary moment for me, to be honest. And by the grace of God, I washed up onto the shore. I'm just kind of like sitting there like, what just happened? And, you know, I can feel my toes. I'm like, that's a good thing. Turns out in that moment... I had ripped some ligaments in my back, and then I needed time to heal. Very, very scary. I was on full alert in literally just a moment of being hit with backwash. And that's what, that's what, this is what happens in life. When you're riding a wave, you get hit with backwash, all of a sudden it has your full attention. When you're on a boat in the middle of a sea and a fierce storm comes along, it's going to get your attention. And you and I, when we face fierce storms in life, just really difficult circumstances, trials, it's very interesting how quick you and I are to go to prayer to God and say, dear God, help It's interesting how God may use circumstances to get our attention. Let me put it another way. Um, I really don't spend much time thinking about the water pipes going through my house. But when all of a sudden I get my water bill and I open it up and it's like $200 more than what it's supposed to be, you can bet I have a flashlight and I'm under the house. I'm walking out to the, the, the water main and like shining a light down in there, and when I see that it's filled with water, I'm calling the Board of Water su Supply, and I'm going to say, come out here and fix it, and I don't want to pay for this. This is not my kuleana. You come fix it. Similarly, my kids, our children, they're not thinking about how their fingers feel. Most of the time, they're not thinking about it. They're just doing other things. But when they get a little splinter in their finger, guess what? Their full attention is on that 
tiny little splinter until you and I can get our tweezers out and remove this little irritating splinter. Lastly, many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, do not spend time thinking about the smoke detectors in our house, much less how many batteries we have on hand to replace them. But when they start their high-pitched beeping in the middle of the night, (laughs) all of a sudden, you and I are on full alert. They have our full attention. Where are the batteries? Where is the step stool? Fix it. Side note, why do they always go off at like 2 (laughs) a.m.? I don't know. Well, as we're going to look at in a similar way, if, if a follower of Jesus just straight up disobeys God, as in the case of the reluctant prophet that we're going to look at, then God may just allow an external circumstance to help us make our spiritual life our top priority. God allows circumstances to get our attention. God provides opportunity for us to change not only our behaviors, but he wants to go deeper and he wants to change our hearts. So here we are, jumping into Jonah. Come on with me. Um, If you're new to the Bible, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, The Bible is in two sections. we got an Old Testament in the first half and then a smaller but New Testament in the back. Um, I'll have you know, Jonah is in the Old Testament, but it's kind of towards the end of the Old Testament, so it's before the New Testament. There are many different types of books in the Old Testament. Um, Our book is found in the Minor Prophets. So kind of one thing that's helpful, if you take your Bible and you just cut it in half, you'll open up to either Psalm or Proverbs or maybe even Ecclesiastes. And if you go to the right, you'll go through the major prophets, and then you'll get to the minor prophets. So after Daniel, you hit Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then Jonah. But these books are smaller, so they're always really tricky to find. So that's where we're going to be for the next however many weeks. Also, that's really helpful to know if you're new to the Bible. Not all of the books are in chronological order. This is really helpful to know when you are a new student to the word. Now, if you start in the very beginning, you got Genesis, which means beginning, and then you go to Exodus, and that actually is in chronological order. But as you move on, there are some books that are literally out of order. Our book, Jonah, is like that. Our book takes place during the time of Second Kings, which is more towards the front of your Bible. And... Jonah, the story, this event in Jonah's life takes place probably around 8th century BC. There's a little bit of debate, but it's approximately 760 BC. And if you are kind of familiar with some of the main events in the Bible, it takes place after King David, then Solomon, then the kingdoms split, and there's a bunch of kings that reign, and that's when it takes place. But it's before the exile of Israel. Also, what I'd like to talk about just for a brief moment is there are some people who um, view the, the story of Jonah because it's just so incredible as allegory. 
So they'll, they'll approach this book and just be like, well, three days in a fish, that's pretty wild. So maybe it's just allegory. It's, it's, it's just a story, like a kind of a made-up story for us to learn biblical truths. And while the last thing I want to do, if you are interested in theology and you're developing your theology, the last thing I want to do is stand up here and just be like, you're wrong and believe it this way. But I would like to encourage you to take a look at just two things to kind of help you um, and me uh, figure out what, what do we believe about this event? And here's what, I'm, here's what I'm talking about. I want to invite you to just take a look at 2 Kings. Um, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, you can, or your smartphones. 2 Kings, again, this is more towards, this is to the left of Jonah. Because in the Old Testament, uh, before, before we even get to this story, Jonah is, is identified as a historical prophet, a real life man, like not a made up character. And so I just want to like highlight that it's in 2 Kings chapter 14, and this is verse 25. The verse starts with he, he restored, and this is in regards to the king who was reigning Israel at the time, that's Jeroboam II. And that is when our story takes place during this time. So we see uh, 2 Kings 14, the chapter 14, the verse 25, says he... King Jeroboam II restored the border of Israel. So they're expanding their kingdom from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to, listen to this, the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. So the Bible recognizes this guy as a real guy, a prophet who has, he has a good track record. He's prophesied and it came to pass. So that's the Old Testament. Probably more importantly than that, if you go to the right, we get to Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. In chapter 12, someone very important talking about Jonah. If you have red letters, that means Jesus is talking. And I'm going to quote Jesus who not only recognizes Jonah as a historical prophet, but also recognizes this story that we're about to embark on as a histor an actual historical event, as incredible as it is. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster. So will the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So again, I know this is a wild story that we're about to talk about, but the Bible recognizes Jonah as a real man and this event as a real, actual, historical event. Jonah's name means dove, which is pretty cool. His dad's name, Amittai, means my truth. And so you got this beautiful imagery of this, this prophet's name, which means dove born of my truth, a herald of God's truth. And so now, as we've already heard in our scripture reading, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that God asked his prophet, Jonah, to preach to this great city, Nineveh. 
That's what prophets do. They speak on behalf of the Lord. We remember, you know, they didn't have Bibles back then. And it was during this time that people could even know the will of God because of the ministry of the prophets. That's how people knew what God wanted to do or what God was up to was through his prophets. But up until this point, Jonah had only ever prophesied to his own people in his own land. And here's God telling Jonah to go preach against Nineveh. When looking at a map uh, with more ancient labels on it, if you can imagine uh, the the Mediterranean Sea, uh, we have um, on the east, you'll have this area of Jerusalem, and that's where our prophet was. And God told Jonah in Israel to go to Nineveh, which is about 550 miles northeast. It's all land. To go and to preach to Nineveh, this great capital of the Assyrian Empire. Well, we know that Jonah was north of Joppa because he went down to Joppa and he found a boat, he paid the fare, hopped on the boat, and he headed towards Tarshish. He was headed towards Spain, which is about an extra 2,000 miles of the distance he was supposed to go, and it's in the opposite direction, opposite means of transportation. Jonah got the word of the Lord, and he straight up went the opposite way. Why? It's important to know about Nineveh, because Nineveh is kind of an important piece of this story that we're looking at. So Nineveh, the capital of the great Syrian or Assyrian empire, what we know about these people due to just great research and the legacy that they left is these guys were absolutely brutal. The Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians were in the business of conquering neighboring nations. And the secret to their success involved several factors. I'll just name a few. Uh, Number one, the Assyrians were the first to employ a highly trained professional army. This is what they did. They were bad dudes. And as for weaponry and engineering, they were setting trends. They were the first to start using iron for their weapons. They invented barbed arrows, catapults, siege machines. They invented harnesses to keep their riders attached to their horses, which making them the first mounted archers. They invented the leather jackboot with armor for protection, yet completely maneuverable for dexterity. And when it came to battle tactics, the Assyrians were savage. Most of the time, they wiped out people, um, the people that they conquered completely to avoid any resistance. And other times, they would torture captives just to strike fear into neighboring nations. They were intimidating. They were hated. They were feared. Assyrian kings took so much pride in their harsh ways that they recorded their methods and their conquests in writings and pictures. This is how we know so much about them. The things that archaeologists have uncovered are absolutely horrific, 
and completely inappropriate for me to talk about in our service today. There's a phrase that they often repeated these Assyrian kings in their inscriptions regarding their military conquests, and I quote, I destroyed, devastated, burned with fire, end quote, regarding those cities, towns, regions, and people which resisted the Assyrian rule. The men of Nineveh were gnarly. And God said to his prophet, go to the great city of Nineveh and cry out against them because their wickedness has come up before me. Now, some of the other prophets in the Bible, some of the other people that God said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to go and do this. I want you to go and say this. They kind of, they, they came up with excuses, right? You got Moses who said, uh, I'm not really good with speaking. Maybe you could find someone else. You got Jeremiah who's like, ah, sovereign Lord, but I am but a youth. And God's like, I can use youth. And then you got Jonah. This, he doesn't even try to talk his way out of it. He's just like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm getting on a boat. I'm going the opposite way. This is Jonah. And I think Jonah experienced firsthand what the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit, writes the psalmist. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths in Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Our God is spirit. He is present everywhere. He is omnipresent Jonah's trying to run away, but it doesn't work out. And so as we kick off our new series, we need to know why Jonah fled or tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. Why is he disobeying the, disobeying the word of the Lord? Why is the prophet unwilling to prophesy the words that God has given him to speak? Because being a prophet, that's what you do. You speak the oracles of God. Did Jonah run away because he was scared of the, this, these bad dudes and what they were gonna, might do to him? Did he run away because the Assyrians, they, they weren't his people? Like, he's, I'm, I'm a prophet to my people, and he's staying loyal to Israel? Or... As I taught the children earlier, did, God, did Jonah know God all too well? God reveals himself in the book of Exodus, and he starts like this. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Could it be Jonah knew God so well that Jonah did not want the villains to have a chance to repent before the Lord? 
not just the kids, but when you and I watch a really good movie and like they do a very good job of setting up the villain, so much so that we, we literally can't wait for them to get what's coming to them. I think Jonah's the same way. He probably couldn't wait for them to have it. But 2 Peter 3.9 reveals to us that the Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, and this promise is his second return. Um, in the New Testament, he's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. Peter reveals, but he's patient. God is actually patient towards you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all, all, to come to repentance. That's why he's holding off on his second coming. He wants people to repent and to find life and salvation. That is the heart of God. And this is key for us to understand. This minor prophet, the book of Jonah in our Old Testament. It's key for us to understand Jonah's motives in his initial disobedience to the Lord. I mean, sometimes humans disobey in ignorance. We just do something, we're like, oh, man, I blew it. I'm so sorry. Just full of ignorance. My bad. Other times, you, you and I may disobey God because of our weakness, and we just say, God, have mercy on me. Have grace with me. I'm so weak. I need your grace. And then other times, we humans disobey God willfully because we are straight up rebellious, which means we despise his word. And I think that's what's happening in the story of Jonah. But I also see some beauty. I love how the Bible reveals to us not only a prophet who would say, here I am, Lord, send me. Yes, of course, before he did that, Isaiah, he was like, ah, I'm a man of unclean lips. And this angel takes a coal and like touches it to his lips to purify him. Yes, he was humble. But after that, he's like, here I am, Lord, send me. And then we have other followers who are of God who are like, ah, not so much me, Lord, maybe someone else. And now, for the next few weeks, we get to look at a prophet who would just straight up disobey and leave. And I think that's beautiful about the, the Bible, that it just highlights different types of people. We're all different. We all have our courts. We all got issues. But our God is a God of second chances, and that's going to come through in the following weeks. Um, I grew up in Hawaii Kai. I went to, you know, like middle school in New Valley, um, high school at Kaiser High School. So I would drive Kalanianioli Highway a lot. Um, we had church in town. I worked in town, and then I lived in Hawaii Kai. So if you're familiar with Kalanianioli, I just drove it a lot. So much so that oftentimes when I'm driving, like, I'd have me, my music on, and I'm just kind of I'm aware of what's going on, but I'm also kind of zoned out, okay? So anyway, so I'm driving. I'm probably about 18 years old, and um, if I remember accurately, it's somewhere around that. I'm out of high school, but young adult. And I'm driving, and right past New Valley, right around um, Holy Trinity Catholic Church, 
I'm just driving, and I notice I just drive over something, and it just caught my eye, caught my attention, and I, and I had this like gut feeling to pull over. So I put on my hazards, pull over, get out of my car when it's safe, of course, walk back, wait for the oncoming traffic to get stopped by lights, and I see in the road what I drove over, and it happens to be um, this pouch, dark blue, zipper on it, and I go and I, and I grab it, and it's weighty. It's like a weighty pouch. Like, there's, there's some stuff in this pouch. And so I walk back to my car, I get in, and before I drive off, I'm like, I unzip it a little bit, and I look inside. There's a very, very thick wad of cash, and I just close it, and I zip it. I'm like, whoa. Uh, okay, so I turn off my hazards. I, I pull back out, and I just, I couldn't even wait till I got home, so I pulled over by Moanalua Bay there, and um, I just find a parking spot, and I stop, and I'm like, okay, I wonder if it's all ones. So, so I unzip it, and I look. Sure enough, there's fives, there's tens, there's twenties, there's more. There's a lot of cash. I literally hit the jackpot. I found a money envelope that says Bank of Hawaii on it, and it's got a ton of cash in it. I'm 18 years old. This is a wonderful day. <laughs> wonderful. There's something else in the envelope. A notepad. Okay, so I open the notepad and I see like a bunch of figures scribbled, someone keeping track. And there's a phone number. I'm 18. It's a lot of money. I could use a lot of money. I could, <laughs> who couldn't use a lot of money? Now, two weeks ago, my dad shared a story about how I failed and how I had gotten into the Oreo cookies, licked out all the cream filling and stuck them back together and put them back in the cabinet. And then when confronted, my mom asked me, Josh, did you get into the cookies? I straight faced lied and said, no, with cream filling all around my mouth. <laughs> just a straight up liar. I'm a liar. So Pastor Josh is a liar. Um, let's just call him for what he is. But I'd like to share a win today. I, I called the number. A lady answered. And I said, hi, my name is Josh. I was driving down Kalani Aneole. I found an envelope. Would you know anything about this? And this lady sounds so shocked. She was like, uh, yeah. I'm like, do you know what color it is? Dark blue, and it says Bank of Hawaii on it? I'm like, yep. Yeah, is it yours? And she goes, I'm like, I found it, must be yours. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, can I have your address? I'd like to drop it off. And I mean, she's just like fumbling for words. And she gives me her address. I say, cool, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop by now. Is that okay? She says, yes. So I get in my Honda and I drive to her house. I get out, I walk up to the door, knock on the door. She opens the door, still in shock. She's still in shock. I think I have some tattoos at this time. Surfer kid, um, <laughs> an envelope full of cash, not one bill missing. And I'm like, here you go. She was so thankful. She gave me a $20 bill. She said, thank you so much repeatedly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I left and I got in my car and I, 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 just, I want to tell you what happened. I had so much joy in my heart. 
I had so much peace. And I can guarantee you, had I kept the money, thrown away the notepad, I probably wouldn't have experienced much peace that night. Probably would have had a restless night of sleep. Something really beautiful happens when we obey the word of the Lord. So I just want to pause. I just want to take some time as we close our service. I invite you to just bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're just going to do a little reflection time. I just want you to know that you're in good company. Pastor Josh is a liar. <laughs> I lied about Oreos. I have disobeyed the Lord. Maybe you have too. Maybe the person next to you has disobeyed the Lord at one point in their lives. I just invite you to close your eyes, think about this phrase, search me, O God. Search me, O God. And maybe you and I can be attentive to anything that comes to mind. Maybe something God has asked us to do, we haven't done it. Maybe it's a conversation or an, an apology. Maybe it's something we're supposed to stop doing or something we're supposed to give up. And I just want to say, God is the God of second chances. So just go ahead and take some time. As you reflect the phrase, search me, O God, I invite the worship team to make their way to the stage. Lord, I just want to say thank you for the way you move. Um, it's it's not in a condemning way, but it is in a convicting way, the way you speak. And Lord, if you've spoken anything and pressed upon anyone's heart or thought, if something came up for anyone in this room, on the patio or online, I pray for strength for my brothers and my sisters to act upon that, whatever it may be. And I just want to say thank you, God, for being a God of second chances. In a moment, we're going to close with a song. You can continue to take some time. If you want to write anything down or punch something into your phone, maybe it's an action step that God is speaking to you, go ahead and take a moment for that. The love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you soon.